You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Rob Tumbrella. You back, invite your friends to come back on uh, Easter morning as we celebrate resurrection together. But before we hear Jesus use those three words as an invitation to us, he hears it from us on Good Friday as an accusation to him. Here's what I mean. In Mark 15, it's on the screen behind me, it says this, And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him also reviled him. They hear, he hears them say to him, come down from the cross and we will see and we will believe. The crowd, the mob in this moment is basically saying one thing. Jesus is finished. His mission is finished. God's, whatever he was doing with this king is done. So come down now and make us see. Otherwise, we're not going to believe in who you are. Jesus is finished. In essence, they were saying to Jesus, you are finished. Well, he doesn't come down from the cross, but he does help us see, and he does help us believe. What he helps us see and what he helps us to believe is not that he is finished, not that Jesus is finished, but that it is finished. This is what he says in John 19, 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his Spirit. This word, it is finished, is the last words that Jesus says before he dies. And these three words, it is finished, is really one word, and it's the word to telestai. And I have shared this in the past, and I am gloriously sharing it uh, again tonight. Jesus' last words is, it is finished. And it's on the screen behind me. Tetelestai. You can see the root word there, telos. It's the final end of something. It's the completion of something. And the, the, the verb form of that is teleo. It does not mean just to complete a task. It means to complete it perfectly and fully. To bring it about to a state of perfect completion. Where you can't do anything else because it's a masterpiece at this place. It's a rare form of the verb because it's a perfect tense. And if you'll remember from sixth grade English, the perfect tense of a verb is a past completed act with this present effect, this abiding and future result. It means something has taken place, something is right now taking place, and it will forever be finished and taken place. 
Charles Spurgeon, the old pastor, said, this word is an ocean of meaning and a drop of language. It's a mere drop. It would need all the other words that were ever spoken or ever could be spoken to explain this one word. John Flavel said this one word contains the sum of all joy. Can you imagine somebody saying that about one word? That's what the, the old people said about this one word. It's the sum of all joy. So the question before us tonight is what is it? What's finished? What G is Jesus pointing to when he says it's perfectly completed? Well, we know at least that before he dies that the physical torture that he has been experiencing up until this moment is completed. Right up until this moment, we have seen in the Bible that Jesus has been scourged. That is, that is to be beaten to the closest point of death with these flesh-cutting whips. He has received the crown of thorns, and those thorns have been beaten into him with rods. He's been the victim of injustice before two courts, falsely accused and just run through an unjust system. He has carried his cross to the place called the skull. It was a place where criminals go to die and to do so in the most excruciating way possible. And by 9 a.m. on this day, Jesus is nailed to the cross. Romans didn't invent crucifixion, but they fine-tuned it, and they fine-tuned it to maximize the pain and the suffering of the criminal. It was designed like an X or the way that we've all seen it in the form of a T. Sometimes the uh, criminal or the victim was upright. Sometimes they were upside down. It was usually no more than two feet off the ground, unlike some of the, the art that we see where it's lifted super high up in the sky. It was usually very close to the ground. And how you died on the cross was by slow suffocation. You were hanging on nails by your arms and air could be drawn into your lungs, but air could not be exhaled. It was a, it was a painful way to suffer and die. Julius Caesar was hailed as merciful to his enemies because he allowed their throats to be cut prior to crucifixion. Sam Storm says crucifixion was specially designed to do more than just kill a man. Its purpose was to humiliate him as well. Crucifixion not only broke a man's body, it crushed his spirit. Crucifixion not only destroyed a person physically, it defamed him socially. That's why it was always public. It was always in a prominent place where it was visible to everybody. And the criminal was almost always naked to increase the humil humiliation both for him and for his family. One ancient writer said, punished with limbs outstretched, they see the stake as their fate. They are fastened and nailed to the cross in the most bitter torment. They are evil food for birds of prey. They are grim pickings for dogs. To take your cross and go to the skull meant you were grim pickings for dogs. And that was how you we're going to end your days. So thankfully, when Jesus says, it is finished, that is finished. All of that physical torture that he was experiencing in his body is done and completed and completed perfectly. But there's another thing that Jesus is pointing us to here. Something else is being finished and completed, and it's something spiritual that's been happening on the cross. And that is a substitutionary atonement. 
I wonder if you can say that with me. Substitutionary atonement. Very good. A substitute means something or someone else. And an atonement is something that reconciles sinners to a holy God. That's what a substitutionary atonement is. And in the Old Testament, the way that you are reconciled to God is that people laid their hands on an animal to signify some substitute taking place. And their sin, when they did that, was transferred to the animal. And then the animal was either killed or the animal was cast off and removed from society completely. And that's what's happening here when Jesus is going to be the substitutionary atonement. That's what is happening. He's being killed. He's being cast off from society. As sins are being transferred to him. If you'll remember, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prayed these words. He said, Father, remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. You remember when he said that and what he's praying there? He's praying about the agony of being a substitutionary atoning sacrifice. See, there was this prophecy in the book of Jeremiah that the cup is the wine of the wrath of God that If anybody drinks the wine of the wrath of God, they stagger and they go crazy when they're pierced by the sword of judgment. And so in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is sweating these drops of blood and he's imagining being the outcast, the one who is suffering for the sins of the people that are being transferred to him as he's being killed and as he's being cast off from society. And we know that that is exactly what happened because in Galatians 3:13 we are told by the apostle Paul that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That substitutionary language. For us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And that's what happens at 9 a.m. on Good Friday. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He steps into our place. He takes on our curse. He drinks the cup of the wine of the wrath of God. And for six of the longest hours in human history, Jesus experiences what no human ever has. He is made an outcast of society and he is crucified outside the camp. And he's hearing... What we just read in Mark 15 take place. Save yourself. And he could have. Come down now from the cross. And he could have. And the chief chief priests and scribes are mocking him saying, he saved others. He can't save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified were saying the exact same thing. Then after three hours, from 12 o'clock till 3 o'clock, we're, we read that darkness is over all the land. Literally, like God turns out the lights. He doesn't want anyone seeing what is taking place on the cross. As Jesus bears the full weight of our sin, and he does so alone And that's why he cries out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what it means for Jesus to be a substitutionary atoning sacrifice. You say today, well, I don't 
I don't know if I need a substitute in my life. I'm not that bad. I'm not responsible for the cross. You might be here tonight and say, well, the Jews are responsible. They killed him. Or you could say, well, the Roman government killed him. Or the mob that we just read about. Those are the people who are responsible for the death of Jesus. But we read in Isaiah 53 that he was pierced for our transgressions. That's your transgressions and my transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, the chastisement that brought us peace was on him, and with his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That means we have gone our own path. We have broken God's laws. We have committed sin against him. We have decided to live life on our own. We've decided to do, do life as we decide to do it. And we are in the mob saying, come down now from the cross because we're in charge. Haven't you said this to God? Fix this and I'll believe in you. Give me this and I'll believe in you and follow you. Give me what I want and I'll see and I'll believe. Show your power in the way I want it, the way I demand it right now and I'll believe and I'll see and I'll follow. We've all turned aside. That's what Isaiah 53 says. We all need a substitute. We all need some atonement in our life because we've all said come down now from the cross in our own rebellion, in our own independence, in our demands to live life on our own. Well, Jesus says in this moment that it's finished. He's not going to come down from the cross because he is going to make a perfect and a completed offering of sacrifice on the cross. But there's another thing that this word means, and it's what happens the very next thing that Jesus, uh, that, we, that we see around Jesus after he says these words. And it's the reason that all this has been taking place. And it's the sum of all joy of what John Flavel talks about. When someone in that day paid a debt, listen to this, the creditor would write this word to telestai on the certificate of debt, signifying that it was paid in full. It was more powerful than taking a huge bill. Think of the bill that you have at your house right now, the bill that you just hate having to pay, and somebody would rip that up in front of you. It's that kind of visual when a creditor would write, tetelestai, on that bill. It means it's completely paid in full, nothing else to do on your behalf. It's all been paid for. And the next moments prove that something new and permanent and real is happening. It says that Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. There's a, an actual earthquake that takes place after he says to Telestai, and this curtain is ripped in two. You say, well, what's happening there with the curtain? I don't understand that. Well, the temple was the primary dwelling place of God. That's where God Dwelt And at the temple, there was this curtain. It was 60 feet high. It was four inches 
thick, and that curtain separated man from the holy God. Sinful man cannot move past that curtain into a holy God. And it was a visual reminder of separation from God because of the debt of our sin. But as Jesus, listen, is torn into, just like he would tear a debt into or a bill into, as Jesus is torn into, God literally tears the curtain of the temple in half from top to bottom. And, uh, and it signifies that the debt is completely and totally canceled. He didn't, he didn't separate it halfway or most of the way or 95% and just leave a few threads at the bottom. From top to bottom, the debt has been completely canceled and the separation between us and God has been removed. And now we know the way to God is through the death of Jesus as his body is torn completely and perfectly to the point of death and that curtain is ripped from top to bottom. Now we have a perfect access into a relationship with a holy God and that's how reconciliation takes place. Look at this verse behind me. It says this from Colossians. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Notice, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. That's what a debt does. It has legal demands and it stands against us. But here, he cancels the record of debt, setting it aside. How? Nailing it to the cross. So let me close this way. Nailing it to the cross means what? How has, what's been canceled off of our lives? If, if that debt's been removed, what's been canceled? Well, here's what's been canceled. Death tonight has been canceled. Christians are called to sing a song to death. And you know what we sing? It comes in 1 Corinthians. Oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? There is no other religion on planet earth that sings songs to death based off resurrection. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I have one black shirt, and I wear it every Good Friday. Do you know why I wear a black shirt? Same way that the same reason you wear a black shirt. It's not because we're dressing up for a funeral to Jesus. We are dressing up in black because we are having a funeral for death itself. Death is defeated. Death has died. Only we're not going to be reunited to death in the future like those who die in the Lord. It's dead and it's forever dead. Jesus said to somebody who was terrified about the consequences of death, he says to a lady he loved, he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. He says, if anyone keeps my word, listen, bank on that. You may be coming here tonight going, I don't, I don't know if I trust in the words of Jesus, but you're terrified of death. Listen to what Jesus says. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Why? Because Jesus sees it for you. 
Jesus saw it for you. He saw it all the way through. And you, if you're in Christ, will never see it because it's been canceled. That's been canceled forever. We leave here singing a song to death. Where's your victory? Where's your sting? Listen, guilt has been canceled. Not only death, but guilt. That's what this says. He canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside. That's why Romans 8 says there's, there, there's therefore right now no condemnation. That means there's no payment. It's not just that the payment's been Removed the guilt of the payments been removed. Jesus takes both the sin and the guilt of our sin and he silences the shaming voices of accusation tonight. And he speaks peace over you and freedom because it's finished. And lastly, hear this the past has been canceled. I, I read earlier about both of the thieves on the cross just mocking and just uh, accusing Jesus, come down now, and we'll see and believe. Both of the thieves. But at some point, one of the thieves on the cross sees and believes. It's remarkable. At one point, there's accusation, and then the next moment, he sees and he believes. And he says this. He says to Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, he silences the other person and says, this, this, this king is innocent. And he trusts in him. And Jesus says to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today your past is canceled. And right now your future is beautiful and bright because it is finished. And you will be with me in paradise. That's the last thing that he hears Jesus say. And for the very first time in his life, he knew that all of his debts were paid. He was completely forgiven. And he'd been given new life. Listen, Google Translator took this word to telestai. And at one point translated it, game over. <laughs> That's what Jesus says to us tonight. Death is game over. Guilt is game over. The past is game over. And I'm not talking about the games that some of you students play where you just respawn and just respawn. Listen, no, it's the games that I played where it's over. When the game is done, it's done. Okay? The game is over. Death, guilt, the past is over. And this is why one word contains the sum of all joy. And that's why the invitation is to come and see. So we're going to sing Jesus shine into our night. Drive our dark away. Let's say that as a prayer to him. Drive it away, God. If the dark is guilt, if the dark is death, if the dark is the past, drive it away till your glory fills our eyes to where we see nothing but Jesus Christ shining into our night and binding us to your cross where we find life. Let's stay in the continuous. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.